0: want to welcome everybody who's watching online right now, and everybody here, welcome to you early birds, okay? How many of you would have gotten up for a sunrise service? You'd get up that early. Okay, about, wait, I'm, I shouldn't be raising my hand, actually, so about, about eight of you. Okay, good, that's, that's what we figured, so, well, thanks for being here this morning. You know, I don't know about you, but I absolutely love Easter, and it's kind of an odd thing because it's not like you don't know what we're going to talk about, right? In fact, for those of you who just attend church at Christmas and Easter, I know why you don't come back on any other Sunday. Because it's like, it's one of the same two messages that just gets repeated over and over again, right? And you're like, okay, I've been there. I've done that. But I love, love, love Easter because Easter really is the perfect time to put your faith in Jesus. Even if you're one of those people who have both feet on the brakes, in fact, some of you, you may be here this morning, and the only reason you're here is because somebody promised you lunch afterwards, right? Or your mom made you come, or, or she's really cute, and you said, I'll go anywhere with you, right? And it's like, okay, church, whatever. And so maybe maybe it's just, it's not your thing, right? Maybe you're here, and, and that's where you're at, and, and you're not about to become a Christian. Well, I would still say to you that Easter is the best Sunday for you to be here, because Easter is a time when we talk about stuff that addresses your objections. And here's what I mean by that. Even if you've never considered Christianity or it's not your thing, your arms may not be folded on the outside, but they're crossed on the inside, right? I'd still like you to consider becoming a Christian in spite of the fact that you know some, okay? In spite of the fact that you used to work for one, maybe you're married to one, In spite of the fact that maybe you think we're all hypocrites or you you had a really bad church experience, in spite of all that, I still want you to consider it and have an open heart and open mind this morning. In spite of the fact that maybe you had a college professor and as a freshman, you know, and, and you used to be sort of a religious person, but he pulled out one card and your whole religious house of cards kind of came tumbling down. You've never looked back. You think there's nothing to all this, that it's all just a myth. Folks, even if that's your experience, I want to challenge you to consider it. Even though you've had pain in your life that maybe you can't explain, or maybe you think that that's that's God's fault in some way, even though God didn't answer your prayers as a child maybe, or you lost a mom and she was a believer and you thought, well, how in the world could a good God? You know, in spite of those very, very difficult questions, questions I can never fully answer, questions that you may not get answered in this life, I want you to consider becoming a Christian because Easter is kind of an end run around all of that stuff. Let me give you some really good news. The foundation of the Christian faith is not other Christians. The foundation of the Christian faith is not the behavior of other Christians. The foundation of the Christian faith isn't answered prayer. The foundation of the Christian faith isn't having all of your questions answered. The foundation is what we're going to talk about today. The foundation is what we celebrate at Easter. And I'm calling it history's mystery because there's something that's explained with Easter that's otherwise unexplainable. Easter addresses something that is almost just inexplicable apart from what we celebrate on Easter. See, we call it history's mystery. That's what we're calling it here because the mystery is this, why does the church even exist today? Like, how did the church come into being? You know, there's no other plausible explanation for this. There are about two and a half billion people worldwide this morning, or whatever time zone it is, across the world, two and a half billion people who are celebrating a Jewish carpenter who lived and never went more than 30 miles away from home, right? He had a public ministry about three years. He never wrote a book, and yet nearly a third of the world's population will gather together as believers in His name on this Easter Sunday, and they're going to celebrate Him. And they're singing similar songs in languages you've never heard of, and there is no reasonable explanation for why that's happening except what we celebrate at Easter. Easter is history's great mystery. You know, think about it this way. If I say the name Nero, you probably know who Nero is, right? Nero was a Roman emperor. But you couldn't tell me much of anything that Nero did. What you could tell me, what you know, is that Nero fed Christians to lions, right? So historically speaking, this great emperor of Rome became a footnote in the story of Christianity. That's unbelievable. Caesar Augustus was the first emperor of Rome. Did you know that? Caesar Augustus, he implemented all these great reforms in Rome, but you couldn't tell me one of them. You couldn't tell me much of anything that Caesar Augustus did, unless you're an historian or you teach history. And yet every Christmas time, in languages you've never heard, in countries you've never visited before, his name gets mentioned, but not because of anything great he did. Caesar Augustus actually became a footnote in the story of the birth of a Jewish carpenter. How is that possible? And how do you explain the church surviving Rome, the Roman Empire, tried to persecute it, tried to get rid of it? How do you explain the church surviving Judaism? Judaism saw Christianity as a knockoff cult of Judaism. And so the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities, they all ganged up and tried to stomp out this crazy new thing called the way. But today, the Roman Empire is no more. And there are far, far more Christians than there are Orthodox Jews or even all Jews combined. It is history's great mystery. Now, here's what's not a mystery. What's not a mystery is how religions and movements began. You know, that there are actually people who study how movements and cultures and nations change. They study how do values rise and fall amongst people groups and tribes and nations, and it's very similar. There's sort of a science to it. There are patterns. Generally, what happens is this. There is unrest in a city or a nation there are factions, there are divisions. And then a charismatic leader surfaces and begins to say things and craft statements in a way that people go, yes, that's what I've been trying to say. That's what I believe. And then they introduce change. And generally speaking, there is a status quo, like there's an old regime who resisted. But over time, eventually, those ideas gain popularity amongst the general population. And the old ways are overturned. The status quo is overturned, and the new ways of thinking are ushered in. And then that particular individual becomes a hero, a legend, someone people always look to, but eventually that person dies. And then the followers gather together and say, we've got to keep this teaching alive. And so they carry those ideas from one generation to the next generation to the next generation, and so on. It happens all the time. This is how the world has been changed. Let me give you a case in point. Islam, you know, the story of the prophet Muhammad is actually a fascinating story. Before Muhammad surfaced, the Arab nations were idol worshippers, And then this young man who eventually would become known as the prophet Muhammad, he emerged from a cave and said that God spoke to him through an angel. And he began to teach these things to his family, his villages, the communities around him. And apparently he was a gifted leader. So he developed a following and it grew and it grew. And eventually he had an army and then eventually with this following, he began to turn the Arab tribes and nations away from polytheism and idol worship to worshiping a single God. And so he introduced monotheism to the Arab tribes and nations, and the religion of Islam was born. So he galvanized these people who, who didn't have organization in the past. They weren't together. They didn't have religious leadership. They didn't have religious literature. Well, Then in 632 AD, about 600 years after Jesus, the prophet Muhammad died of natural causes. And so his followers gathered together and said, wait a minute, this this can't be the end here. I mean, we got to take these ideas, these teachings from God, and we got to further them. And there was division. One group said, hey, we need to take one of his sons or grandsons, and he needs to take his place as the prophet. Another group said, no, 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 it needs to be a political leader. So there was division. But in spite of that, in spite of that, Islam grew, became a world religion. Okay, it's a fascinating story, but it's a story that makes sense. It's a story that you can understand. In fact, it is the story of every other religion and major movement that has taken place in history. You can think about the civil rights movement with Martin Luther King, women's liberation, on and on and on it goes. All those movements have the exact same pattern. But... When you take that pattern that you see over and over all around the world, all throughout history, and you try to transpose it to the story of Christianity, it just does not work. In fact, no reputable historian would say that this common transition that you see in cultures is the explanation for the rise of Christianity. Not one. You see, we call it history's mystery because we know we're here. We know about a third of the world's population believes in Jesus. We know that somehow a handful, a tiny number of followers survived the first century, survived the Roman and Jewish oppression, and they began to multiply. And eventually there were little churches all over the Mediterranean rim. And now 2,000 years later, here we are. We know what happened. The question is, why did it happen? The question is, how in the world did it happen? And the how, it doesn't fit the paradigm that's normally used to explain a change in culture a movement and i'll tell you why here's the reason jesus's message jesus's message is the problem see jesus's message was not a liberation message it was he never said you know i'm going to advocate the liberation of one group from another i'm going to start a revolution his message was not we're going to liberate this group from this other group It wasn't that way. It wasn't a liberation movement. It wasn't a revolution. We're going to take over. We're going to turn over the status quo, do something new. In fact, at times, Jesus tried to make that not very, very clear to the people around him because people would try to pit Jesus against Rome, for instance. Do you remember what he said when that happened? He would say, no, no, no. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. And they'd say, Well, hey, you talk of a kingdom. Are you trying to start a new kingdom? And he disappointed them. He said, Oh, yeah, but did I fail to mention my kingdom is not even of this world? Like, Pilate, you don't need to be threatened. Rome, you don't need to be threatened. My kingdom is not even of this world. In fact, you may remember when Pilate tried Jesus, he came out to the crowd and said, Seriously? I can't find anything to accuse this guy of. He's not a revolutionary, he's not introducing threatening ideas. In terms of Judaism, whenever the Jews would try to trap Jesus, he would say, no, 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 no. I'm not trying to overturn the Jewish law. In fact, I'm here to fulfill the Jewish law because the law came from God. In fact, when it came to that Jewish law, Jesus actually raised the standard. So there wasn't this talk of liberation or or revolution going on. The problem with Jesus's message was that it was all about Jesus. Let me say that again. The problem with Jesus's message was that it was all about Jesus." Now, this did set him apart from every other leader who had come along, and it was the primary problem. See, Jesus never asked his followers to put their trust in certain ideas. He never once said, put your trust in these revolutionary principles. Instead, he instructed his followers to put their trust in him. See, this is the problem. And this is what makes the rise of Christianity absolutely unexplainable, except for the very thing that we celebrate on Easter weekend. You know, one day, Jesus and his guys were outside of a place called Caesarea Philippi. It was a place that had been renamed for Caesar Augustus. And he said, hey, everybody knows who Caesar is, but who do people say that I am? And they had a little discussion about that. But then he turned to his disciples directly and said, who do you say I am? And this is important. Because Peter pipes up, he says, I think that you are the Christ. That's the Greek word for Messiah. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus doesn't say, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not get carried away here. Well, he said, you're right, Peter. Not only are you right, but you didn't come up with that on your own. God downloaded that to you. Okay, now that starts to be a problem, right? When Jesus first walked into the public eye, John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan River. He looks up, he sees Jesus coming, and here's what John the Baptist does not say. Behold, the one who's going to tell us about the Lamb of God, who one day will take away the sins of the world. Now, he said to the crowd, behold, the Lamb of God, that person right there, who takes away the sin of the world. The problem with Jesus's message was that it was not about ideas. Jesus's message was all about Jesus. He placed himself at the center of everything he had to talk about. One day, Jesus received word that his good friend Lazarus was sick, was dying, and by the time Jesus showed up, Jesus was uh, you know was there, and and he realized, hey, <laughs> Lazarus is already dead. He'd actually been buried in the tomb for days he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Well, Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And what Jesus says next is extraordinary people. He didn't say, Mary, Martha, listen, let me tell you about life after death. Let me tell you that there's a resurrection. Let me give you some principles and ideas that you can pass on to your children's children, and 2,000 years from now, they'll still be talking about it. No, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm not here to explain it to you. I am the resurrection and the life. And did he say the one who believes in my ideas, my teachings, my parables? No. He said the one who believes in me will live. See, the problem with Jesus is he kept talking about Jesus, kept talking about himself. One day, Jesus was having a conversation with his disciples about God, what God the Father is like. And as he was going on, it was getting kind of confusing. And so finally, one of his followers, Thomas, piped in and said, you know what, wait, 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 wait. Just show us the Father, okay? We're not tracking with you here, Jesus. You're you're coming, you're going, we're going with you. It's all confusing. Just show us the Father, okay? And Jesus didn't say, well, let, let me try this again. Let me try to explain it to you again. Let me give you another analogy, a word picture for what God the Father is like. Uh -uh. Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, this is important, especially if you've dis-Christianity or if you're reconsidering it. Jesus and his followers never said the reason Jesus came was to leave us with a collection of insights and parables and principles that we could pass along to the next generation. Not at all. The problem with Jesus was his message. It wasn't liberating to a group of people. It wasn't revolutionary. Jesus just kept talking about himself. So when Jesus died, their hopes died with him. People, when Jesus died, their hopes died with him. There was nobody standing at the foot of the cross saying, well, now that our leader's dead, let's take his teaching and keep it alive. Because Jesus was so central to everything that he taught, there was nothing left to pass on to the next generation. There was no teaching that would have made any sense with the death of Jesus. When Jesus died, no one believed his message. No one. When Jesus died, no one took his claims seriously. I mean, unlike any other leader that we celebrate, when Jesus died, the movement died with him because he was the movement. He was the message. He was the center. It wasn't about ideas and principles and parables. It was all about Jesus. And it's so interesting. Even before Jesus was crucified, his closest followers abandoned him, abandoned him. Now, this is very important, okay? You you don't think about this stuff because you've got jobs to do and kids to raise. So people like me sit around and think about this stuff, all right? But the people who brought us the story of Jesus, they presented themselves, you ready for this? As cowards, as cowards. Now, if you're writing a story fictitiously, you're not gonna write yourself into that story as the coward, are you? You're gonna find a way to slip yourself in there as the hero. When you watch a movie, do you look for the coward in the movie and go, yeah, I'm identifying with that guy? No. Who are you thinking about? But the very people who brought us everything we know about Jesus, they all admit that when Jesus was arrested, they ran. Simon Peter, the rock, the one who said, I'll never disown you. I'll stand to death for you. You're the Christ, the son of living God. He was around a campfire when essentially a middle school girl comes up to him and says, hey, you're one of those Jesus followers, aren't you? Did Peter stand strong? No. He said, I don't even know the man. Hear me on this. When Jesus was arrested, they lost faith. When Jesus died, the movement died with them. Listen, there were no Christians at the cross. There were no Jesus followers after the crucifixion. You know why? Put yourself in their heads. Messiahs don't die, (laughs) and Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. Sons of God can't be killed, and Jesus claimed to be the one and only very Son of God. Resurrection and life can't be crucified, and Jesus said, on more than one occasion, I'm the resurrection and the life. Huh. So here's the mystery. How in the world, when a man who associated himself with that message was crucified, how in the world are we here today claiming that he is Lord? Well, Easter solves history's greatest mystery. And let me tell you how it unfolded here. Jesus was crucified. And so a couple of men, they took the body, they wrapped it up, and they put it in the tomb. And so the women knew that men had done this, and they figured it needed to be redone, right? <laughs> Can I hear an amen from the ladies? <laughs> so who shows up on Sunday morning? The women show up in the tomb, and I'm sure they're wondering, I don't know how in the world we're going to move that stone, but we, we got to get this thing you know, properly prepared. Those guys, they were doing it in a hurry, okay? The sun was going down, next day was Sabbath when they couldn't work. So the women show up, and here we go. Let's dive into the story. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, hold. Mary Magdalene. Now, this is very important. In the first century, women had no credibility. They were not allowed to appear or testify in court. Their testimony was considered unreliable. So I'm telling you, if there was any way that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John could have told the resurrection story and left women out of it, they would have done so. The fact that women were the first to find the tomb discredited their credibility. And do you know why all the gospel writers say that women were the first to discover an empty tomb? Because women were the first to discover the empty tomb. There ain't no other reason they would do that. Not a chance. Anyway, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, that would be John, and said, they, I don't know who they are. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. You know why this is important? Because Mary Magdalene didn't go running to the disciples and say, he's risen from the dead. This is key. People, there was nobody outside of that empty tomb waiting on that, going 10, 9, hey, No. There were no campfires, no tents, no band, no celebration, no floats. There was nobody. The people who brought us the resurrection story sheepishly, but honestly admit we all thought when he died, he would stay dead. So when the women found an empty tomb, they didn't assume a resurrection. They assumed somebody has stolen the body. So these women, they run to the disciples and they say, somebody's taken the Lord and we don't know where they put him. And Luke, who said, I carefully, I meticulously investigated all this. He actually gives us the men's response, which is interesting but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Yeah. The men didn't say, praise God, it's a resurrection. No, they said, you're crazy. You went to the wrong tomb. This is nonsense. No wonder we don't allow women to testify in court, right? Uh Uh-huh. Where's the faith? So Peter and the other disciple, John, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Do you know why John peeked into the tomb and didn't go into the tomb? Yeah, because it was a tomb, all right? Yeah, it's like, whew, makes sense. Simon Peter came along behind him, went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. Finally, the other disciple, John, also went inside. And I love this, people. Don't miss this. He saw and believed. John doubted. He wasn't buying it until right here. He saw and believed. And what convinced him? Wasn't Jesus' teachings, wasn't the miracles, wasn't the crucifixion, it was an empty tomb. The followers of Jesus re engaged with the message of Jesus, not because of the message of Jesus, they re engaged because they saw the living Jesus. And this is so fascinating. After Jesus rose from the dead, these same people, okay, suddenly these cowards who didn't believe. In the resurrection who were hiding from everybody else, they suddenly went out in public. They actually went into the streets of Jerusalem and began to boldly preach and teach. But hear me on this. They didn't preach or teach the principles of Jesus. They didn't preach the parables of Jesus, the love of Jesus. They actually went to the very people in the very city where this event took place, the ones who crucified Jesus, not a hundred years later, but just a few weeks later, and here's what they said. I'm going to paraphrase this for you. You killed them, God raised them. We've seen them. Now say you're sorry. <clears throat> that was their message. You killed them. God raised them. We've seen them. Now repent, turn to him. And many people believed, many, many people believed. They said, "Yeah, we killed them. And we believe that you've seen him. There are far too many people running around the streets of Jerusalem right now saying they have seen a resurrected Jesus. So what should we do? What do we do? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That is the good news right there. That is the message for every one of us. It's that simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. People, you don't want to wait until the day you die to think, well, well, if there is a God, if there is a judgment, I'll just, I'll figure it out. Then I'll talk to him about it, then I'll tell him how good I've been or how hard I've tried. No, no, no. That won't work. Too late at that point. Please don't put your trust in yourself. Don't trust in me, me, me. Put your trust in him. You see, the reason this is the best day to finally put your faith in Jesus is because the resurrection solves history's greatest mystery. Why are we here today? Why does the church exist? How did this movement begin and sweep through the first few centuries? How is it that nearly a third of the world's population today calls Him Lord? And the resurrection not only solved history's greatest mystery, it also punctuated the point of the crucifixion. Your sins need forgiven your sins need forgiven. Somebody had to die for your sins. So here's what this means. If you are a Christian this morning, your hope is not in vain. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. That means there's going to be a resurrection and life. That means the people that you have loved and you have lost, if Jesus is telling the truth, if you're a Christian and they're a Christian, you'll be reunited with them one day. And why do we believe this? Hey, if a man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, I'll just go with whatever that guy says. Mm -hmm. And he did. And Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Matthew, all those guys, they show up on the other side of the resurrection and they very honestly say, I believed and then I didn't believe, but now I believe again not because of what he taught, but because I've seen the risen Jesus. And people, that is why, no matter how bad of a church experience you've had, no matter how crooked the last Christian you did business with was, or what you saw in your Christian home growing up, no matter what you've seen in terms of hypocrisy in the church or unanswered prayer or disappointment with God, I would encourage you this Easter Sunday, give Jesus another chance. Not because of what he taught, but first and foremost, because he said he died for your sins and he rose again and he was seen by those who knew him best. In fact, the reason the movement swept so rapidly across Jerusalem is because the Bible says he appeared to over 500 other people at once, at one time. The people who re engaged with the message of Jesus after the resurrection, most of them died and this is so important, they didn't die for what they believed. What? No, they didn't die for what they believed. People don't die for a lie. They died for what they saw, the resurrected Jesus. So maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you've been on the fence. You know, Maybe you're on the sidelines. You're thinking about it. You're considering it. I just want you to know There's no better time than now. I just want to invite you to follow me in a prayer. Would you bow your heads? This is the most important message in the world. And Easter solves history's greatest mystery. There is no other explanation for Christianity existing today. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're watching online. You've never put your faith in Jesus. You've never believed in the Lord Jesus to be saved. It's very simple. In the quietness of your heart right now, you can just say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you claim to be and you proved it, that you are the resurrection of life. You are the Christ my Savior, the Son of the living God. And you died on that cross to pay the price for all of my wrongdoing, all my sins, so I could be restored to a perfect God. I believe that. And I believe that you offer forgiveness and eternal life free of charge, not by anything I do. There's nothing I can do to make my way into heaven except trust in you. And right now, I'm trusting in you and you alone. Lord, for those of us here who are believers, we have a hope that is certain. We have a joy and a peace that can never be taken away. We have an eternal home in heaven waiting for us because of what Jesus did on that Easter morning. Not just because he died for our sins, but because he rose again to eternal life. So we love you, Jesus. We thank you, and we celebrate you.